Welcome to the Ordinary Extraordinary Cemetery, where every death had a life and every life had a story. My name is Jenny Johnson. Hello, and I'm Diane Hartshorn. And Diane and I were just talking before we started recording that we thought it would be fun if we included a new little segment every week um, on these episodes um, about current events happening with cemeteries around the U.S., in other countries, because we know we have a lot of listeners in other countries, um, and it's hard for us to kind of keep up with the current events when we're constantly researching the historical events. There's a lot of activity going on in cemeteries that is doesn't necessarily have to do with burying people, so I think Jenny's idea of including these um, news going on, taking place in other cemeteries is a wonderful idea. And we're hoping that you, the listeners, will help us out with that. And you will submit stories um, from your local areas, your local cemeteries, as you come across them or as you find out about them. And this can be news stories. It can be events that happen in your cemeteries. It's always fun to see what kind of events different cemeteries Mm -hmm. do. Um, Sometimes they're doing things as fundraisers. Sometimes they're just trying to raise awareness. Um, sometimes they're really truly using cemeteries as like the park-like settings that they are. So it's always fun to see what cemeteries around the country and around the world are doing amongst their headstones and monuments. It's always fun to learn. So we just thought it would be fun to have these little segments. And so we thought, you know, every week we can share two or three little news stories with you guys. And we're hoping that, yes, you'll want to contribute to those. And so um, you can definitely reach out to us via email or social media which we'll include all of that at the end of this episode. I won't make you hear it all twice, but we'll include it all at the episode if you want to do it. And we did pull up one quick little tidbit um, to share with you today. That's a current event. And again, this has nothing to do with the rest of our episode for today. And we'll get into that in just a minute. But this came to us out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And it was um, an article about volunteers working to clean up Homestead Cemetery, which is in Pittsburgh. A group of volunteers is making sure the sacrifices made by veterans more than a century ago won't be forgotten. The gravestones of more than 30 veterans of the Civil War and Spanish-American War inside the Homestead Cemetery in Munhall have eroded to the point where they are unrecognizable. Mm. But over the last year, the Homestead Cemetery Association has been working to identify who is buried in each plot and properly marking their gravestones. Most of them have been so seriously damaged from acid rain from all of the steel mills in the area that basically the inscriptions have eroded away over time, explained Ellis Michaels with the Homestead Cemetery Association. A handful of gravestones have been replaced so far, but for the Homestead Cemetery Association, plenty of work remains. Board member Kira Mangold Ostovich says replacing the markers is an important step in preserving the history of her community reminding veterans that even a century later, their sacrifice isn't forgotten. The fact that we're able to just honor veterans generally has been truly humbling. It's nice to be able to recognize these people for their service as Union soldiers. The plan is to replace nearly three dozen of these damaged headstones between now and Veterans Day. Oh, that's wonderful. So yeah, I thought that was a nice little story that was shared on Channel 11 News, WPXI-TV. Yes, that takes a lot to fill out the um, application to send off to the VA to get a a headstone. So that's a lot of work is going into their project. And they said three dozen. Is that what that said? Yeah. Yeah. So that's a lot of, I mean, that's 
a lot of headstones that they're replacing, but I'm glad yes. they're doing it. Yes. So those are the types of stories, listeners, that we're looking for. Um, obviously, if you find a story that's not as positive, we will share those too. We know bad things happen in cemeteries too. Um, and we are definitely willing to share some of those stories as well. So again, news stories, events happening in cemeteries. If you, I know we have several listeners who are cemetery board members and they work in cemeteries and stuff. We want to know what's happening in your cemeteries and we want to be able to feature those events and stuff for you. Yeah, so share. Let's get into today's episode. So here in America, we just recently celebrated our Independence Day on July 4th, which means for us, summer is well underway. Mm -hmm. And that also means that in most places, we are all dealing with hot weather and long days, which is great for visiting cemeteries, but <laughs> also that hot weather can get to you. Yes. Uh, so we thought what a better way to cool down than a swim in the ocean or the lake or whatever body of water happens to be handy. And all of this got me thinking about cemeteries that are located under the water. So in today's episode, we will be discussing two such cemeteries. The first is located off an island of the Philippines, and the second is off the coast of Florida. And then we will end the episode with one of my favorite memorials dedicated to those lost at sea, the Gloucester Fisherman's Memorial. The Philippine island province of Carmagin is located in the northern part of the Mindanao region. The majority of the island is made up of seven volcanoes, two of which are still considered to be active, Mount Vulcan and Mount Hibakabic. The locals call their home the island born of fire because as even their only very recent history proves, Carmagene could again be at the mercy of its volcanoes. Mount Hibakibak is part of the active Pacific Ring of Fire, and it's very possible that it could erupt again, causing destruction and reshaping the landscape further. You can travel the perimeter, which is 147 miles, or for the rest of the world, 237 kilometers in just about an hour by car. Judging by the pictures we found online, it is a beautiful tropical paradise with lush greenery, blue waters, and both black and white sand beaches. Before Spanish explorers turned up, the island was inhabited by an indigenous people called Manabos. And when I was looking at some of those pictures, I'm not really big into tropical islands, but it did make me want to go and spend some time on some of those beaches. According to Spanish exploration records, renowned explorers Ferdinand Magellan and Miguel Lopez de Lagopsi landed in Camigen in 1521 and 1565, respectively. Magellan landed on Cebu, claimed the land for Charles I of Spain, and was killed one month later by a local chief. The Spanish crown sent several expeditions to the archipelago during the next decades. Permanent Spanish settlement was finally established in 1565 when Miguel Lopez de Legazpi, the first royal governor, arrived in Cebu from New Spain, or Mexico. Six years later, after defeating a local Muslim ruler, he established his capital at Manila, a location that offered the excellent harbor of Manila Bay, a large population and proximity to the ample food supplies of the central Luzon rice lands. Manila remained the center of Spanish civil, military, religious, and commercial activity in the islands. The islands were given their present name in honor of Philip II of Spain, who reigned from 1556 to 1598. And I did not know that's why the Philippines had that. Learn something from you every time we do it. <laughs> 
Spain had three objectives in its policy toward the Philippines, its only colony in Asia, to acquire a share of the spice trade, to develop contacts with China and Japan in order to further Christian missionary efforts, and to convert the Filipinos to Christianity. Only the third objective was eventually realized, and this not completely because of the active resistance of both the Muslims in the South and the Igorot, the upland tribal peoples in the North. Philip II explicitly ordered that pacification of the Philippines be bloodless to avoid a repetition of Spain's bloody conquest in the Americas. Occupation in the islands was accomplished with relatively little bloodshed, partly because most of the populations, except for the Muslims, offered little armed resistance. Church and state were inseparably linked in carrying out Spanish policy. The state assumed administrative responsibility, funding expenditures and selecting personnel for the new ecclesiastical establishments. Responsibility for conversion of the indigenous population to Christianity was assigned to several religious orders, the Dominicans, Franciscans, Augustines, known collectively as the Friars, and to the Jesuits. At the lower levels of colonial administration, the Spanish built on traditional village organization by co-opting the traditional local leaders, thereby ruling indirectly. The church's work of converting Filipinos was facilitated by the absence of other organized religions, except for Islam, which predominated in the South. The missionaries had their greatest success among women and children. Although the pageantry of the church had a wide appeal, reinforced by the incorporation of Filipino social customs into religious observances. For example, in the fiesta celebrating the patron saint of a local community, the eventual outcome was a new cultural community of the main Malay lowland population from which the Muslims, also known as by the Spanish as Moros or Moors, and the upland tribal people of Luzon remained detached and alienated. In 1679, the Spanish settlement of what was called Catugman, now known as Catarman, this was largely a religious settlement with a church, convent, a belt, and a bell tower dominating the center of town. On a peaceful day in May of 1871, the island community was devastated by the eruption of Mount Haibok Haibok. During the volcanic eruption that lasted from 1871 to about 1875, after continuously spewing out lava into the sea, the mountain gained a height of nearly 2,000 feet and submerged areas of Catterman, including the town's cemetery. Today, all that remains of Old Catterman are the ruins of an ancient Spanish sand rope church, a convent, and the bell tower. Rendments of the structures and gravestones of the cemetery were still seen during low tide until 1948, when the volcano erupted for the fourth time, which buried the area deeper by another 20 feet. The volcano's last eruption happened in 1951. The devastating lava flow from this eruption killed 3,000 people and made headline news around the world. In 1982, a large cross was built on the solidified lava to mark the old cemetery. Candace Baramio Dael, Camagine's tourism officer, said the white cross that marks the sunken cemetery was a replacement of the original, which was made of hardwood and stones that disintegrated over time. Today, visitors can visit the site of the sunken cemetery 
for a fee of 50 pesos. You can also pay to take a guided snorkel tour of the cemetery. That fee is 150 pesos. You cannot snorkel without the guide. Since the cemetery has been submerged in the water for 150 years, the coral reef is beginning to take over the monuments that rest beneath the sea. However, there are still crosses and other recognizable monuments where fish, sea snakes, and other creatures swim among. There are giant clams that have made their home among the monuments as well. It is a cemetery full of both the dead and the living. Those who have visited have stated it is a place where one truly appreciates how sacred both life and death really are. And now returning stateside, we will visit our second underwater cemetery, and that is Neptune Memorial Reef, located in international waters off Key Biscayne, Florida. According to its website, the Neptune Memorial Reef is an artificial reef located approximately three miles off the coast of Key Biscayne, not far from Miami, Florida. Built as an artistic interpretation of the lost city of Atlantis, the Neptune Memorial Reef is a resting place for those who choose cremation and want to be memorialized in a unique underwater setting. The project to create the reef was begun in 2007. The Memorial Reef is the only artificial reef in the world required to conduct phase one studies. Engineer the reef to withstand the strongest storm in a hundred years and engineer the reef to encourage an entire ecosystem. In this last regard, the Memorial Reef has exceeded all goals and hopes, accomplishing in its first six years what was expected to take at least 10. The Memorial Reef is now the most prolific artificial or natural reef in Florida. The reef can even be classified as a coral reef now that 14 species of reef building coral have joined the ecosystem. Some of the reef's ecological successes have been a surprise, like the identified sea urchin previously thought to be extinct in the Caribbean. I thought that was really cool. That is very cool. They found a new home amongst the dead. I love it. <laughs> the first deployments or burials, though deployment is a much better term in this case, to the Memorial Reef were of cremated remains abandoned sadly by their families. The very first deployment was a marine placement in the shape of a starfish. Daniel Restrepo, a beloved young man, was the first intended deployment. Restrepo was just 13 when he was shot in a drive-by shooting. Though doctors gave no hope for recovery, the family persevered and Daniel recovered, regaining the ability to walk and talk. 10 years later, though, he died. The Restrepo family purchased an entire column of the Memorial Reef with space for an additional 13 future deployments. Mrs. Restrepo mixed Daniel's cremated remains with concrete to create the piece for deployment. And when we say the columns, and I was looking it up on their website, so each cremation is like in a section of a column. Hmm. So by purchasing the whole column, then they have room for more family members. Um, yeah. Or columns can be made up of different sections of different cremains. It's so. like in some cemeteries, they have cremation estates where they can bury multiple together. So right. this, is, this is really cool. Yeah, same concept. It just goes underwater. Yeah. According to Lauren Rhodes' book, 199 Cemeteries to See Before You Die, shipwreck diver Bert Kilbridge immortalized in the Guinness World Book of Records at the age of 90 as the world's oldest scuba diver has a place of honor atop one of the columns at the reef gate. 
Other monuments in the cemetery include benches, columns, and starfish. Future monuments may include dolphins and Neptune himself. Which would be very cool to see. The Memorial Reef is designed for construction in phases. The first two phases of construction is comprised of 76 columns covering a half acre of ocean floor. When complete, the Memorial Reef will cover 16 acres and include over 5,000 columns. The building cost for the first phase of the reef build was over $1.5 million. A marine biologist engineers every reef piece so that every angle, texture, depth, and profile is designed to support the ecosystem. Reef pieces are built on land and moved by barge to the reef site during the summer. Custom-built molds are used to create columns, arches, and bases from still reinforced concrete. The concrete contains additives for faster curing and to reduce water penetration. Several pieces are built, including bases, columns, and road units consisting of four column arches. Each concrete base, the smallest of which weighs 50 tons, has four eight-inch pipes that extend 11 feet into the sand to prevent lateral movement of the reef. The Memorial Reef consists of road units meeting at a centerpiece. It is designed with portals for future placement of features mixed with cremated remains. Columns, for example, contain a pin holding the top on. The 250-pound top is removed for deployment to the center of the column. Around the welcome centerpiece sits a bench designed as a fish habitat. The bench cover is removed for deployment to this feature. Road podiums contain portals for installment of deployments. Memorial plaques are affixed to the outside of the features. Yeah, and the plaques, you know, have the person's name on it and date and all the information that you would find on an actual headstone, but it's just on these columns. And if you go to their website, you can look at a map of what the final site will look like once all 16 miles have been laid out. And it kind of, it has that feeling of like something from Alexandria. Oh yeah, it's. It's gorgeous to look at. And this is just drawings. This isn't even like a final thing, but you can just picture this grand city of the dead under the water. I, it's so fascinating. Yeah, I saw some pictures online when I read the script. because like, oh, I have to see what this looks like. And <laughs> it is, it is gorgeous. It is, it, there's words cannot describe it. And I am not, a, well, I've never been scuba diving. And right. while I can swim, I'm not a strong swimmer and I don't do it often. But this makes me actually want to learn how to scuba dive and go swimming. Same thing. Just yes. so I can see this particular cemetery. Yes. Many families choose a freestanding memorial piece or marine placement in the shape of a marine animal natural to the ecosystem, such as a starfish or a shell. Marine placements are glued into place using a two-part epoxy for concrete underwater use. By the time it is complete, the memorial reef will include more than 250,000 memorials. Wow. Mm -hmm. According to the Memorial Reef website, visitors are welcome. The Memorial Reef is free and accessible to all. Boat activity at the site is brisk. This unique artificial reef and undersea art is popular among recreational scuba divers, marine biologists, students, researchers, and ecologists. The reef maintains buoys over the site for boats. They ask three things of their visitors. Number one, don't fish. They are creating an important ecological system, which also includes the fish. Two, be gentle, help them protect the reef and the marine life. And three, when Memorial Reef workers arrive at the site, share the space with them. 
features of the memorial reef contain cremation ashes and should be respected. Families are welcome to participate in deployment by prior arrangement. Family members have become dive certified to visit the site, visit their loved one's memorial and monitor the progress of the reef. Local families are known to visit the reef and their loved ones regularly. My um, brother-in-law is a dive instructor that just recently moved to Florida. I'm gonna have to <laughs> say, um, you need to go. Go to this go take this out. Yeah. Go check this out. Yeah. Have him do some underwater photography or film work for you. Yeah, that would be cool. Definitely. <laughs> You're like, I really want to see this. Like I said, this makes me not being a big swimmer, but this makes me want to swim. Mm -hmm. just and the to one in the Philippines too. That's pretty cool. Yeah. There was a, one of the YouTube videos I looked at when I was researching, I had some really cool footage when they went under and you could see some of those mm -hmm. headstones that are, they're shaped like crosses. There was one mm -hmm. that's a head was it was a statue at some point and all you're really seeing is the head but everything is starting to be covered in the coral and everything so it oh. still retains its original shape right. but it's just coral covered and it's developing its own habitat just like the one in Florida what was really fun about that particular video I don't know what the fish were because I'm not overly familiar with fish species but there were these little black fish swimming around that kept attacking the the guy's hand like they were a little bit aggressive and he just kind of would smack them away but like they were going after him so like get out of our cemetery but I thought yeah, that was kind exactly. of fun moving north up the coastline we now find ourselves in the seaside community of Gloucester Massachusetts and standing at the site of the Gloucester Fisherman's Memorial also known as Man at the Will erected in 1925. The memorial is an eight foot tall or 2.4 meters bronze statue of a fisherman dressed in oil skin standing braced at the wheel on the sloping deck of his ship. The monument has a square base of sea green granite. It is positioned so that the fisherman is looking out over Gloucester Harbor. The fisherman in the sculpture was modeled after Captain Clayton Morrissey, a prominent Gloucester fisherman, once the captain of the F.E.M. Morrissey. The stone was purposely sculpted with a rough finish to make the fisherman look rugged. Krask posed the fisherman, Krask being the artist, posed the fisherman to look as if he was facing a windstorm and was headed toward dangerous rocks. His eyes are fixed on the water and sails, while every muscle is strained to hold the wheel with a firm grip. A small plaque on the north or street-facing side of the base reads, Memorial to the Gloucester Fisherman, August 23, 1923. A larger recessed panel on the front or harbor facing side of the base holds an inscription of the bronze letters taken from the Bible Psalm 107, which reads, they that go down to the sea in ships, 1623 to 1923. Gloucester bills itself as America's oldest seaport and the monument was completed in 1925 to, un to honor 300 years of Gloucester losing fishermen. Circling the center path are plaques with the names of those lost to sea from 1716 to 2001. The six that made up the class of 1991 are the captain and crew of the Gloucester-based Andrea Gale, the fishing boat made famous in the book and film, The Perfect Storm. Now it's not clear what it takes to get one's name on the plaques, since there are maybe 500 or so listed, whereas a city Paul Mural has the names of more than 5,000. Yeah, I couldn't find, I'm sure somewhere in the annals of something, it tells you how to get your name mm -hmm. put on there or how they selected the names that went on there. But um, I did get a chance to actually go to this memorial in May of 2019. 
And it was very cool to see. And it was very cool to read those names. I don't think I read all 500 of them, but I did walk around looking at all of them. um, And just thinking about how many more men had been lost at sea um, just to make a living. Of course, any coastal community is familiar with the loss that comes with making its living off the sea. Standing at this monument as you look out across the vastness of the Atlantic Ocean causes you to reflect on the harsh reality, even if you live far away from the sea. There are countless shipwrecks across the globe that became the final resting places to those seeking adventure, trying to make a living, dealing in piracy and slavery, and so much more. We tend to think of cemeteries as places with solid ground, headstones, and other monuments, places that have been consecrated and set aside for the dead, but there are so many places resting on the bottoms of oceans and lakes that came to be because of the power and majesty of nature and providence, or even because man wants to be more at harmony with the earth and sea and to create life after death. And as we say every week, we are so very glad that you chose to once again join us for another episode of the Ordinary Extraordinary Cemetery. If you are new here and we welcome you, and would like to listen to our other episodes, you can find them on our website, theordinaryextraordinarycemetery.com. You can also find us on social media. We are on Facebook and Instagram at Ordinary Extraordinary Cemetery and on Twitter at Ord Extra Sim. And also on our website, uh, you can find the resources that we used for the research in today's episode, as well as several links to those YouTube videos that show you what these underwater cemeteries actually look like. So be sure to go and check those out. We would also very much appreciate it if you would consider leaving us a five-star review and a comment on Apple Podcasts or even on our website. We love hearing from you and we welcome your feedback and hopefully we'll be welcoming your stories and events of your local cemeteries. Definitely looking forward to sharing those. Absolutely. Thank you until we meet again.